Thank you so much to our sponsors, Yellow Racket Records, a place for music lovers to discover, hear, and buy new and pre-loved records. Great staff, great coffee, comfy chairs. YellowRacketCHA.com and RC2 Realty Solutions Real Estate Investments. Robin Ring's got a brand new thing. Call 531-1722. Only in Jeff Styles America. Hey folks, welcome back to Storyville with old El Jefe, Jeff Styles spelled with a Y, Nuga's own Jeff Styles spelled with a Y, and today's Storyville going to be kind of special, sort of a flashback, throwback. Um, as we are recording this, the United States of America still does not have a president-elect. We have President Donald Trump, who is still in the office, but we voted on Tuesday, November 3rd, two days ago, and Joe Biden, former Senator and Vice President Joe Biden, and Trump, they're still counting votes. And Argonaut, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we're down to four states, five maybe, where they're still counting votes as we speak and it is neck and neck the magic number being 270 of course electoral college votes pennsylvania's the big prize with 20 but really all biden needs is nevada with its puny little six and he'll hit 270 as i step into the studio today trump apparently has just taken georgia a state that we know very well living next to and I was raised in for the most part usually very substantially and predictably red but could have gone blue this time doesn't look like it did but it's still out it's still out as is Nevada as is North Carolina and if I'm missing one I'm missing one Pennsylvania of course Arizona. Arizona has gone by, and I guarantee it has. But at any rate, it's still going on. But today's show is not about this election cycle. Hope I haven't already lost you, because I know you're probably tired of hearing about it by now. Storyville was designed to be an escape from reality, or at least a closer look or an interesting angle at the reality of things going on today, but mostly about stories in my life or the lives of those people around me because I've been blessed and or cursed with an interesting life and interesting people who have had interesting lives, and I can have a knack for telling a tale. But this tale, it's, it's one of mine, and it's one of America's. It's where my life and the political life of the United States of America and the election process intertwined. I was a brand-new radio host in 1992, Brand new. I started on August 3rd, 1992, as the host of the pre-rush hour. It, would never, it was never an hour. It was always two hours long, and that was the name of the show. It was on from 10 a.m. to 12 noon. It came on before Rush Limbaugh. Rush, who is currently, let us take a moment, and I'm being very serious here. Let's take a moment of just silence 
and say, thank you for the momentous talent that was Rush Limbaugh in the field of media and specifically talk radio. I did not agree with Rush. They hired me to be the flip side of the coin, the other side, the anti-Rush. The pre-Rush hour was designed to have a political left-of-center-slash-liberal giving the other side of the views, the other side of the story, because Rush was claiming at the time he was brand new, he was wildly popular, America was becoming a nation of of news junkies and information junkies. CNN was beginning its rapid ascent. The idea of a 24-7, 365 news network was out of the question. Nobody thought it would be successful. The first Gulf War began. Everybody wanted to know everything all the time. Talk radio began to explode. But I was supposed to be the anti-Rush, but I still had great respect for him and what he did in his lifetime. He is ailing now very badly. He is battling stage four cancer. He probably won't be with us much longer. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. On this day in 1992, the day I'm talking about, was election day. I started on August 3rd. November 3rd, 1992, guess what? There was a big election, a presidential election. It happened to be a pretty momentous presidential election, unlike anything we'd ever seen before. We had the incumbent, President H.W. Bush, Bush Sr., Papa Bush, some people said Papa Doc Bush, and we had, of course, the challenger, Bill Clinton, a man who was the governor of Arkansas, he had emerged of the pack of the seven dwarves, as Rush had called them, Al Gore being one of them from the great state of Tennessee, a senator. Those two, Clinton-Gore, were running against the incumbent, the original Bush. And then there was the third candidate, a real true, honest-to-goodness, viable third-party candidate, the Tea Party rose from the candidacy of H. Ross Perot. H. Ross Perot, a multi-billionaire Texas oil man, incredibly eccentric, uh, did not adhere to either the Republican or the Democratic ideals or platforms and had this just this just he, he kind of reminded you of some sort of cartoon character, a cross between Mr. Magoo and Yosemite Sam, a little scrappity dude. And he had this little voice like this and these huge ears. And he talked about getting under the engine and fix it. He had to just get under the engine and fix it, fix it. And the guy you couldn't argue with his credentials, he was a multi-billionaire. And he had a way of speaking to the common man. He garnered 19% of the vote that day. And in that election cycle, it was amazing. But here's the story. It took me this long to get here. On that day, November 3rd, 1992, C-SPAN, C-SPAN, remember again, this was really pre-cable dominance days. There were not that many cable channels. One of them was dedicated to doing nothing but covering Congress. 
and the things that were going on inside the Beltway in Washington, D.C. It was called C-SPAN. More often than not, it was just one stable camera on the floor of the Senate or the House of Representatives. Sometimes there might be a hearing, and they'd have a couple of different cameras and some spokespeople, but it was so boring. It was incredibly boring. Who would sit there and just watch speeches on the floor of the House? Well, some people did. C-SPAN, because it really didn't know what to do with itself on election day, because it had to be completely objective, it couldn't really have anchors and reporters and editorialists and columnists. They had this whole idea that they had to be totally objective and do nothing except just show what was happening. So on election day, they came up with this brilliant idea. They would go out and they would find a talk radio host, this new format, this new medium of talk radio, and they would find a host in America that would represent that particular party and the candidates in that party. Rush Limbaugh represented the incumbent, President Bush. I was chosen out of all the other talk radio hosts in America because there weren't that many self-proclaimed liberal talk radio hosts. I was chosen to represent the Clinton-Gore ticket. I said yes, mainly because I was a fan of Al Gore. I thought Bill Clinton was as smarmy a politician as had ever come down the pike. I remember watching the Democratic debates going, this is the guy that's the front runner? This guy, this smarm bucket, this sleazeball? And, but, but yeah, I, I would rather see them in there. And, and Al Gore was such an environmentalist, and I'm an environmentalist, and we were promised a co-presidency. Well, we got one. It just happened to be Bill and Hillary, and Al kind of got put out to pasture. And then Jerry Williams. Jerry Williams was representing H. Ross Perot. So 10 a.m. to 12 noon, I was on C-SPAN live for two hours. No commercial interruptions, none whatsoever. Then Rush Limbaugh came on for two hours from 12 to 2. No commercial interruptions. One camera, one in my studio, one in his studio, WABC in New York. And then Jerry was at WKRQ. Was it KRQ? I will correct myself if I am wrong, but I think it was WKRQ in Boston, all right, in Boston. And I'll correct myself if I'm, in, if, if I'm wrong. And he was going to be there from essentially 2 to 4 representing Ross Perot. So here's the entirety, essentially the midday of the broadcast day, represented by three talk radio hosts talking about their people, talking against the other guy's people, and that was C-SPAN's programming for that day. Now, if you go to the Facebook page that is attached to this broadcast, fredpodcast.com, NougaRadio.com. Where else could they find it, Jason? Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm. Just look for it, and you will find the two-hour broadcast 
of me on C-SPAN, a very young, dashingly good-looking, incredibly confident, not scared of anything, young El Jefe, Jeff Stiles, at the age of 32, touting all the positive attributes of this Clinton-Gore campaign. All right? Yes. You were quite capable of running your own show back then. Yes. What's happened? That's the way they trained me to do it, and that's the way I wanted to do it. They took away my capacity to run my show little bit by little bit. I ran the board. I ran the bumper music. I fielded the calls. I did everything. They, they, they took that away from me little bit by little bit, saying that I had too much on my plate and I wasn't able to concentrate enough on actually doing the show, which I always thought was balderdash. I always thought that was BS. You know, I, I liked having my fingers on the buttons. I really did. And, but anyway, so you see me in there, and, and, and so here's, here's one of the things. I'm not going to talk too much about the details. I mean, everybody knows what happened in 92, right? Um, Clinton and Gore essentially crushed the incumbent. Um, Papa Bush, Bush Sr., didn't stand a chance. He kind of came in weak. He was the vice president under Ronald Reagan. His big line was, read my lips, no new taxes. Read my lips, no new taxes. And then he turned around and increased everybody's taxes. And here's Slick Willie Clinton, a man who has, from the time he was in kindergarten, and this has been verified, has only wanted to be president of the United States. I said then, and I'll say now, beware of anybody who is so singularly minded that that's the only thing they want in life. There's something wrong with them. There really is. Perot was just a nut. He was, he was brilliant, but he was, he was brilliant to the point of being a mad genius. He, he would use these country euphemisms, but sometimes they would just go all askew. One time during the, the debate, they had these three-way presidential debates, and he's this little sawed-off guy. He's got ears that stick out at 90-degree angles from his heads, the size of satellite dishes. And, and, and they go, the people of America want to know. He goes, I'm all ears. Oh, my God, it took 20 minutes for the crowd to quit laughing. I mean, you, you've got to read the room a little bit there, Ross. And, um, and it, it, here's, here's what I am really wanted to say. It was an exciting experience. The guy that C-SPAN had hired to put in my studio was absolutely unprepared to run into the buzzsaw that was the young me. I didn't even know what the hell I was doing. I didn't think I was going to be a talk radio host for more than a couple of months. I've said that on Storyville before. I just took the gig to basically get a paycheck long enough until I got back into the world of advertising and creative copywriting and doing great TV and radio commercials and and print campaigns for people. Advertising was what I thought I was going to do. I wasn't going to be a talk radio host. I didn't give a damn. I'm not scared by people. I'm not scared by individuals or groups of people or cameras. I don't care about that stuff. So I show up with my long hair, my beard, and an attitude. And the poor C-SPAN camera person was totally caught off guard by a couple of things. 
A, my language. I did not violate FCC standards during the broadcast. But when my mic got turned off, all right, when my mic got turned off and I was no longer going over our airwaves, the camera for C-SPAN stayed on. They had no commercial breaks. Realize that. Remember, our station did. We must have had the, the highest dollar ever charged for commercial time. So I would go to commercial breaks, and I would start talking to people, co-workers at the radio station, and just using the language that I would normally use in the hallway. And I had come up with this idea. I got a mannequin. I got a mannequin from a store nearby. It happened to be a female form a mannequin, there was no hair, but it did have breasts. And and I would take off during every commercial break, I would take off the shirt I had put on it and put on another shirt, and all of the shirts and the hats I would put on the bald female mannequin head were all promoting Tennessee and Chattanooga or the, the Clinton-Gore campaign or some environmental program that I was behind. They were advertisements. They were purely visual for the camera, just for the camera. But when I took off the shirt off the mannequin, the C-SPAN guy was being ordered by his bosses back in D.C. or New York, wherever, who was calling the shots. He had to stick his finger into his own camera shot to cover up the fake boobs the non-anatomically correct boobs on the mannequin. So you'd have this big finger sticking out there, right? And, and so he, he, was a, he, he wasn't expecting that, and they were talking into his little earpiece saying, tell him to quit doing that, tell him to quit doing that. And he goes, they want you to quit doing that. And I said, well, fuck you, man. <laughs> I, did, I don't care what they think. I didn't, I didn't ask them to come down here. They asked me to do this for them. And I kept, you know, putting on. He finally quit doing it. He actually got on my side. He actually came over to my side. And he started moving the camera around. He started changing the angles. At one point, at one point, the engineer for the radio station, uh, we were having some trouble with the phone lines coming in. And, and again, I never really completed that thought. You can see this whole thing. When I just went through that whole spiel of all the places you could go, you can see the two-hour broadcast. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's there. It's all part of history. It's in the National you know, Library of Congress, the C-SPAN broadcast. So you can go watch the whole thing. And at one point, you'll see this engineer early on come into the studio and crawl beneath my legs to get to the board. I'm on the mic and I'm straddling this big guy, and the camera is obviously wondering what's going on, so it pans over and down, and right down into the crack of doom it goes. The engineer, his name was Mike Morell, and he had a plumber's crack that went halfway down his ass. His belt and his pants were literally, he was busting a sag, didn't have any bunkies on, wasn't wearing no long handles, short handles, and the camera went straight down into the crevasse of doom as he was down there fiddling and twiddling with switches and wires and affecting the phone calls, audio, and it was just, 
I mean, I'm looking down. I'm still talking. I'm trying to hold my train of thought. And I could see what was on the camera because the monitor was there. I'm going, nobody. This isn't going to happen at Rush's show. This isn't going to happen at Jerry Williams' show. You're not going to see a big ass crack on either one of these guys' show. You wait and see. And the other thing I was doing is I had made up a bunch of signs. And they were just signs. They were just on regular old pieces of just stationary paper. But I had actually printed out things, and they were messages that I couldn't say on the radio, but I could hold up to the camera. Do you remember who President Bush's running mate was? Do you remember who his vice president was? A lot of people. Dan Quayle. Thank you very much. Possibly the dumbest man to ever hold office in America. Certainly the dumbest vice president. And that is a hotly contested category, y'all. It was potato. Now, he got screwed on that one because he actually was in a debate and they and he his IQ was being tested and they asked him to spell potato and he put an e on the end of it and it went eh, and everybody made fun of him but actually the e spelling is an alternative spelling for the word potato it is an applicable spelling for the word potato so for of all the things for him to get basically known for and to made to be made fun of that one was one of the worst. He said much dumber things and more entertainingly stupid things. But I had one that said, inhale this potato head with the E at the end of potato in parentheses. And the inhale comment was a loose affiliation and based on and an homage to Bill Clinton's idiotic comment about, yeah, I smoked marijuana once, but I didn't inhale. What a lie. Who says that? Who says that? Just go ahead and fess up. Half of America had smoked pot. These were your people. The, the baby boomers, the, the Woodstock generation was your base. And he goes, I, I tried marijuana once, but I didn't inhale. So I held up this sign that said, inhale this potato head. Another one, this was a very popular one, was I actually held up a sign that said, Rush is a eunuch. Rush is is a eunuch, yes, and and because Rush was oh he was the he was the strapping example of American manhood and rugged individualism, but he had never owned a pair of jeans. He looked at that as a source of pride because jeans were about hippies. Jeans weren't about the working man. And he didn't have a girlfriend. He had never been married. He had no girlfriend. I was beginning to really question this guy's sexuality. Was he really, truly deeply closeted? Was he homophobic? Because he certainly came across as homophobic. Maybe he had some issues. Maybe he had some mama or daddy issues. And so Rush is a eunuch was one of the signs I held up, among many others. Some of them were more vile than the rest. I do remember this very distinctly. I remember saying these words, that President Bush was so desperate to maintain office that he didn't have opinions. 
he formulated opinions based on the way the majority of the American people thought. And if the majority of the American people, if they had taken a poll that day and it came out that bestiality was now popular, then he would be the first in line to get him a set of hip boots and a salt lick. And that he would be the first in line to jump in front of that parade. And if you can't visualize what you would use the hip boots for and the salt lick in terms of bestiality, then you can just pass that one right on by. That one did not make the C-SPAN people happy either. And I said that one on the air. So at this point, two hours go by. I represent Clinton Gore to the best of my ability. Phone calls are coming in from all over the country. Some of them are for me. Some of them are shocked that there's a liberal talk radio host out there. Some of them are mortified at some of the things I am saying. Absolutely horrified. I was referring to Ronald Reagan as St. Ronnie, you know, and, and I also said, in my opinion, that Ronald Reagan was not a bad man, no matter what his policies were. He actually believed them, but that George Bush was actually evil. He had headed up the CIA and that he purposely misled the American people with disinformation, very much the way I, I, I do still feel this way to this day about Dick Cheney. I think Dick Cheney is an evil, evil man. He's smart and he's evil. He is Simon Barr Sinister from the Underdog cartoons, and I do believe that. But let's put it to you this way. I get through my set, my mannequins, my shirts, my hats, my signs. It's all over, done. I walk out, never broke a sweat, didn't really care. What did I have to lose? Who watched C-SPAN anyway? I'm going to be back in the advertising business shortly. Rush comes on, and there's a glitch. The camera switch doesn't happen smoothly. It doesn't immediately, as the, the Pretender's song, Ohio, with that familiar bass lick, which was used as the theme song for Rush's show for years. Boom, 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 boom. Which, by the way, they asked Chrissy Hind of the Pretender's, does that bother you because they knew she was liberal, a liberal rock and roll star, if that bothered her that, that he used that song? She said, hell no. It, are you kidding me? That gets me tremendous airplay. Everybody knows that song. Every time he plays it, it's cha-ching, cha-ching. So it's playing, and the camera is now stable again. The camera guy has left, and it's just on the empty studio. And Rush starts speaking. And for the first several minutes of his show, he's doing his thing and he's rattling his papers and it's the golden microphone at the EIB network, excellence in broadcasting, talent on loan from God and all the rest of this stuff. And then suddenly he goes, what? Excuse me? What? It's showing what? And it was still showing, C-SPAN was still showing our studio. And he goes, oh, Okay. And it clearly rattled him, so he started kind of getting back into his spiel about, you know, supporting Bush. And my program director at the time walks into the studio and is just standing there looking around. And he knows that the camera's on, and he doesn't really know what to do. We've still got big reel-to-reel -reel tape machines going, and lights are flashing and blinking. And he just stands there, and he picks up the sign that says, Rush is a eunuch. 
and he holds it up to the camera. And you hear Rush go, huh? It says, what? It's saying, what? Oh, oh, okay. And then he continues on with the show. And finally, finally, the shot switches to the Rush Limbaugh Studios at WABC in New York. And I can tell you that me and the program director at WABC met not long after that, and we locked horns. Not over that in particular, but he remembered it. But I actually had a bone to pick with him over the initial, the first bombing at the World Trade Center Towers. Remember, it got bombed once before, and WABC located, located in the World Trade Center Towers did not report the story. And we were reporting the bombing in New York City and went to the noon news and said, I'm sure that Rush and WABC will have this continuing story. And it took them 35 minutes to even mention it. And that program director sat there all full of himself at this big seminar we were having of talk radio hosts from all over the country and had the audacity to tell us that that was a bad programming decision to go with that heavy, hard news story because it would have sent people away from Rush's program doing nothing but bashing Democrats, as he did every day, and it would have sent them to their television sets. It would have cost him listeners to actually have his listeners go follow the story on TV. And I said, you should have your license yanked now. You should have your public broadcasting license yanked right now, you son of a bitch. You don't deserve to be in your position. This guy's not used to anybody talking to him that way. People kowtow to this guy. I didn't care. I'm a little guy in a little station in a little market who doesn't think this is going to be their career. I was ripping him a new one. He was sweating bullets. People were laughing at him. I made him a laughing stock. He was a legend. Jerry Williams was already old, and he came on and did the best he could to promote Ross Perot, had a hearing aid. He was at that same seminar, by the way, and he and I talked, and he said, Hey, you're that guy from Chattanooga, right? And I said, Yeah, yes, sir, I am, Mr. Williams. He goes, did they kick you off C-SPAN too? I said, yes, sir. They told me I would never be welcome back again. He goes, they did me too. Damn them. Damn them. Damn them what I say. I, I lived all my life without them. I'll live the rest of my life without them. Screw a bunch of C-SPAN. And I, we, we laughed and joked. I don't even remember what it was that he said or did that got under their skin, but we were both banned from C-SPAN forever. Rush lived on. You know, and, and I guess he's made many appearances since, but me and Jerry high-fived each other, and he passed away, if I'm not mistaken, in 2012. Did I get the call letters right? W-R-K-O. W-R-K-O in Boston. W-R-K-O in Boston. W-R-K-O in Boston. Surely I should be able to remember such a thing. But anyway, I just wanted to tell that story, and here's how it ends. My day ends at 12 noon. I have asked for an absentee ballot. I'll be very sure on this one. We are still counting what? Today? 
in 2020? Why do we not have a president-elect? Because of the absentee ballots. They were nowhere near as common in those days. I had just moved from Knoxville, Tennessee, to Chattanooga, Tennessee. My voting precinct was still in Knoxville. I asked for an absentee ballot to be sent to me. It never showed up. So after being on global television for two hours, touting the ticket of Clinton Gore, it would be very unseemly for me not to vote. So I got in my car and drove two hours north back to Knoxville to the trendy neighborhood where I lived, where the block was completely filled with people waiting to vote. The line came out of the voting polling place, wrapped around the building. It took me two and a half hours to get in there to vote. And I get there and they say, oh, it says here you voted by absentee ballot. I said, no, I ordered an absentee ballot. It never arrived. I have not voted. This is my voting place. Can I please vote? And they said, no. It says here you voted by absentee ballot. So on that day, when I went worldwide telling people to vote for Clinton Gore, the only time, the only election I was never able to actually vote in. And that's the ending of this story today and Storyville. And by God, I voted this Tuesday and I ain't afraid to tell you, I don't normally talk about it, but I voted against Donald Trump because I think he sucks as a human being and as a president and as a person. And he's a terrible example of humanity. And he's not an American patriot. He doesn't have a single Christian characteristic. I hope to hell he loses. And he, he just cries and whines like a baby. And he just they drag him out and he's kicking and screaming and he's clawing. And his hair gets all muscled and tussled. And his comb over comes off. And we see that it's a foot and a half long, a foot and a half of lank, horrible hair that they twist around up there with all that crazy glue and he just makes a spectacle of himself as he leaves and he becomes a laughing stock and history judges him as harshly as anybody could ever be judged more harshly than Richard Nixon more harshly than Benedict Arnold more harshly than Judas himself that's the way I feel do I like Biden no I really don't like Trump. I just saved that for the end, so now it's too late for you to tune out. But check out the video if you want to. Thank you. Nuga Radio, NugaRadio.com, uh, FredPodcast.com. We do Rockyology. And, of course, hey, we did a special election version, election selection of Rockyology without the, the Argonaut. Uh, Russell the Love, uh, Love Muscle actually stepped in and did a great job, and that's going to air again. But thank you for listening to Storyville. Thank you for checking out all the archive stuff at fredpodcast.com. If you disagree with me about Trump, that's fine. That's what makes America great. You could think the same things about me, but keep on listening.
Fred podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of our sponsors, Kelly Subaru, Safe, Frugal, and Green, Riverfront at MLK, and at kellysubaru.com, Dr. Brett Moldenhauer, Institute for Acupuncture and Wellness, and North Spring Cryotherapy and Rejuvenation Center. Find them at northspring.com. For more, go to fredpodcast.com.